This episode is supported by Vic Health, Victoria's health promotion agency. For more information about the work of Vic Health, go to vichealth.vic.gov.au. We're all spending more time at home than ever, and we're thinking about ways to cope with that change. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at a special idea borrowed from our friends way up north. It's the Danish concept of hygge, a special kind of coziness, I suppose. And we've even got some real-life Danes to talk about it. And we'll also be getting some working from home tips on ergonomics and mindfulness. So stay tuned. Hi, and welcome to our special COVID-19 series of In Good Health, where we explore life and health during the pandemic. I'm Dr. Sandro. And I'm Dewi Cook. Before we get to that Danish idea of hygge, Sandro, I wanted to ask you about some of the things that people have been asking you about. I know you've had some questions around whether or not people can go visit friends in particular who might need emotional support because this is a tough time. What do you say to that? Yeah, that's a good question, Dewi. Look, we are still maintaining social distancing and there's a limit in Australia for indoor and outdoor gatherings, a cap of two people, you know, people you don't live with. So it's important that if you are catching up with another person, particularly if someone who needs emotional support, the first thing to think about would be, well, can you have a Skype chat or jump online and speak to them, grab a cup of tea, find a quiet space and jump on Zoom or a video call. If it's better to catch up in person, you can catch up, but you need to maintain one and a half metres of social distancing. You also need to both be well and wash your hands after you've caught up with your friend. Yeah, so no hugs, hey? No, and look, it is tough. It's It's a bit impersonal, I suppose, maintaining that distance. So I actually think in many ways it's more effective to find a cosy, quiet position and jump on Zoom or Skype. Okay, and another question I guess that I'm certainly contemplating and I haven't quite got my head around is whether I need to be doing anything differently to my veggies when I wash them, my fruit and veg, and what I should be doing with the groceries that I'm bringing back from the supermarket. Is it okay to bring them into the house? Yeah, this is a really good question. It's one I get asked a lot. First of all, it's important to understand that there are no cases, there are no examples or circumstances around the world where coronavirus has been spread through food or food packaging. Having said that, it brings up two really important things that we can all be doing. One is at the stores or the supermarkets itself. We should make sure that we take a list to the supermarket and we're not touching lots of things on the way around. So only touch the things on on the shelf that you're actually going to put in your bag, buy and take home. And this way, we're just minimising the possibility of touching products that others will, will then take home to their houses. When you do get your things home though, Dewey, it's good to leave the shopping bags and any extra packaging at the front door. Always wash your veggies with plenty of of water. And if you're worried at all, for whatever reason, you can always cook things and that will certainly reduce any very small risk. As I said, there have been no cases of the virus being spread on food around the world. But as it's a new virus, you know, if people are worried, peel food, cook food and wash food. Trying to get my kids to stop touching things at the supermarkets is one of the biggest challenges of my life. So I've actually just stopped bringing them whenever I need to go to the shops. It's just something that we have to kind of be more practical about. It's um, yeah. and it's tough. It's not easy. So, look, I guess we're all facing a lot more time already at home and indoors and certainly the big question is, like, how do we make that work for us, right? And I know, Sandra, mm. you've phoned a friend on this issue, haven't you? <laughs> 
I phoned not only a friend, but two of my dearest and closest friends. So I lived in Denmark for three years, back about 10 years ago. And they were three really amazing years because you have this kind of vision of Danes being tall, beautiful giants <laughs> riding bicycles. And it's pretty much what the entire country's like. I would just fit in so well there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, all, all different different colours, shapes and sizes. But yeah, it's a, it's an amazing country. And I think part of what's incredible about it is the really strong sense of social contract, of community, of social fabric and of, I think, connection. At the root of this is a concept called huga, which comes from the fact that Danes spend about six months of the year stuck in their house because it's so dark and so cold. We're talking a country where in the middle of winter it's dark for about probably 18 hours a day and for the three years I was there winters got down to about minus 17 and snow was on the ground for at least three or four months straight so in that context you you really learn to love your own space you learn to invest and really cherish your little part of the world and you learn to kind of make it feel cozy and it's a sort of mixture of coziness and mindfulness and peacefulness all rolled into one with a good cup of coffee, a warm rug and and maybe some Danish design furniture. But anyway, I'll hand over to my, my good friends Rasmus and Sina to tell us more. So tell me, there's a concept that uh, the Danes invented that has sort of taken over the world in a way and everyone's intrigued by the concept of huga. What does huga mean? Well, I, I guess it's a bit more elaborate term for, for cozy, uh, if you were to translate it. It can be a situation, a mood that you are in. You can hygge yourself, uh, so you can kind of, kind of having a, a, a hygge moment with yourself and with other people. It's sort of about being mindful uh, and winding down. It's really difficult to have a hygge moment if you, if you are stressed, but it can really be used to alleviate stress. It can arise by itself um, or it can be something that you, you actively try to, to uh, obtain. How do you apply it in your everyday life? In Denmark, we have a very long winter. That's, I guess, approximately half of the year. It's dark and a little bit cold. So uh, as you said in the beginning, we, we tend to hibernate a little, stay a lot indoors. And I think that's a really good time to hygge. Uh, I get on the couch with a nice cup of coffee and maybe a blanket and dim the lights and then um, just enjoy what you can enjoy in that moment. Instead of thinking, oh, I wish that it was sunny and that I could go outside and then just what can I do inside that I find enjoyable? And to to us, it's a lot about also eating. (laughs) Yeah, and cooking a lot. It sounds like it's a sort of mix of being in the present and being mindful, but also being thankful, but also maybe some throwing in a little bit of Danish design and a good cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, you you need your filter coffee, otherwise it's not uh, it's not it's not Hugo. <laughs> is it about the things you have? Or is it about the house you own, the the design of the furniture you? you enjoy or is it something more kind of intangible? I mean, how how hard is it to create hygge? If you have certain things in your life, like bread and good coffee, it, it definitely helps. But um, but it, it cannot kind of uh, make up for for the mood and the and the and the situation. Like you you have to 
you have to be present and you have to be mindful in the moment. And alongside all those uh, things that you can use to create hygge, you need the mood as well. If we think there are hundreds of millions of people around the world and there are hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions in Australia, who now find themselves at home for days or weeks on end, what can we be doing to try and live a more hygge life? I think it's it's taking a moment to be present. And uh, and I think in, in Australia at the moment, uh, you are going towards uh, wintertime. So so also grab a blanket and, and, a, and, a, and a hot drink. I think that will certainly also help. But I also think it's uh, important is that you just accept that what you have is, is what you have around you now, so in your home, and not think about, oh, I wish I could do this, I wish I could do that. It's the same we do, I think, every winter. We have a lot of things that we cannot have. And uh, to cope with that, we accept that this is the current state and let's make the best of it. So what do I enjoy doing when I'm inside? Maybe I enjoy reading a book or uh, as us enjoy cooking a meal and then put some extra love in that and give that some extra attention. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to do now that there's so many things you cannot do then that just focus on those you can and try to put all your focus there. But also learning how to do other things. Maybe you want to learn how to speak another language. And we also see a lot of people doing that. Just figuring out which, uh, what can you do to uh, learn something from this. You talk about these long Danish winters. Do you think the concept of Huga, does it help you to cope with the sort of social distancing or being indoors that you face every winter in Denmark? I guess to some extent, yeah. I think we're used to having a lot more home time than otherwise it definitely makes it more easy for us um, to stay inside uh, the fact that we have these long winters and um, and if if it can help other people to to apply some of the danish uh, <laughs> it, it, it's certainly just a good thing what advice would you have for australians what are some simple things that we could do to try and have a little bit of hygge in our lives over the next few weeks i would say should find something that um, that they they want to learn, uh, and and a good way to start is in the kitchen. Like if they want to learn how to bake bread, if they want to learn how to uh, make a good uh, good minestrone or homemade pasta, um, there are many very nice instructor videos uh, out there, and 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 for me that really helps. Like having some goal of something to achieve. Naturally, for me, it's in the kitchen, but of course, it could be many other places, uh, like Sine talked about learning a language. And, and for me, that also helps that, that sense of achievement, that you have achieved something, you have made your own pasta or you have made your own bread or, or something like that. One of the things is also taking the time to do whatever it is you're doing, maybe a massive puzzle or baking an ice bread. It takes a lot of time and it's not always that you allow yourself to take that time, having that extra time allows you to sort of go deep into something, for instance, baking a bread. And then when you serve that bread, you really put a lot of love uh, into it, which also, for me, creates a nice moment when we then share it. I like that idea, though. You share the hygge. It's very hygge to share. It yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess it's part of the, the idea. I mean, you can... Uh, you can by yourself as well, but uh, I think a lot of it's 
a lot easier to hygge if you can share it with someone. Mm. In these times, sitting at home alone, to me it would be hygge either to read a book or to call someone I really love and then share a cup of coffee over the phone. And both both uh, tuck into the to a, a big chair and 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 have a blanket over. <laughs> I notice there's lots of coffee and lots of blankets. It's it's pretty much what I remember of Denmark. It's basically a house. <laughs> In Denmark, you've also been practicing physical distancing or social distancing. You've been spending more time at home. Is there anything that you've learned new about each other or even about the Huga life in the last few weeks during the pandemic? I think something maybe I, I haven't learned, I think I knew all along, but it's it's how much it means to us to share our food with other people. And that's something I really miss or look forward to be able to do again. Yeah. That's a big part of our life is uh, creating something we can share with other people. Calling someone cannot really make up for that uh, physical connection and and that to realize that is also yeah it's very important so i guess that's also something that we can learn from this oh my gosh i loved them sandra <laughs> i loved listening to them you and, and me both like just hearing how simple they explain the things that make them happy and mm. I'm like yeah I'm gonna bake bread yeah I'm gonna do a giant <laughs> puzzle except that I've got a huge number of children running around me and I can't <laughs> even find like <laughs> the 30 minutes that I need sometimes just to talk to you in the day yeah. <laughs> but you know they've really got it figured out. The funny thing is if you ask them they probably look at other people and think that they've got it figured out but I think the balance that they find and the focus they have on the here and the now and they've got a very strong kind of feeling of glass half full mm. and that's a very Danish thing as well. It's a sort of humbleness but at the same time a, a sense of gratitude which yeah. I think we can probably all learn a little from. Mm. I love that idea of acceptance I suppose because that's a really big lesson that is emerging I think out of this particular time that we're in that there is a lot that's out of our control and you know we do our best to try to give ourselves the best shot at staying healthy but let's find a way to accept the circumstances that we're in and look for that peace or that happiness to mm. make that work for us but I also called a friend you should know to yeah. talk about life in lockdown I guess because she's in Italy and she's actually in Turin mm. in the far north of Italy, Italy oh, wow. and They've been under pretty strict lockdown for over a month now and she's at home with her husband and their two-year-old and they're in a small apartment in the centre of town. So, you know, they haven't got a veggie patch and they haven't got a big garden or anything like that to um, to entertain them. So I talked to Clara about what they can do to make life work for them. And she's mm. also had to suddenly figure out how to work from home, which I think is also really re relevant. So here she is. So my name is Clara Martinez. Uh, I live in Italy originally from Venezuela, but I've been here for the past 10 years. And Clara, who do you live with? With my husband and my two-year-old son. What's it been like for you to be at home, mostly at home for three weeks with a toddler? How's that gone? It's crazy at times. I mean, you cannot take him out. You cannot hide. I mean, you can try, but then he will follow you around. I mean, we're very fortunate because our apartment, it's not a small apartment. 
So, but basically you end up living in a room. But again, because he's a two-year-old, he has imagination and you can basically make him play with everything. So he hasn't left the house in four weeks yet. He's like super happy most of the days. So it hasn't been that bad. Is there any way that you now, having spent so much time in your ha- in your apartment, your home, do you see the space differently? Like if you had your time again, think differently about how you might divide it up. Well, I guess we should have gotten all the lamps up because <laughs> we still haven't finished after three years. Um, all the lights in your house? Yeah, we have light bulbs. In some rooms, we don't have like the proper lighting. <laughs> and I know it sounds silly, but it does make a difference if you're in a way and, you, you know, your room, it's well lit. Oh, 100%. <laughs> if you're in your room all the time. <laughs> because we have been forced again, to spend more time together. We have had to find ways to do things like common things differently, uh, but then also trying to make the time more enjoyable, which is the way that it's... Can that, Clara? Yes. So we started playing Monopoly, (laughs) which sounds silly. Just with each other? you know, yeah, just a board game. And then it was a different night where it's not exactly we're sitting you know, in front of the TV, watching something or me reading and him, I don't know, playing Xbox. Uh, we're trying to do things a little bit different. He has taken interest into making sure we have pizza at least once a week. That's something very funny because for Italians, pizza means weekend. And so he's like, when I go grocery shopping, he's like, make sure you get ingredients to make pizza. And then he makes pizza either on Friday or Saturday. And so we're trying to do little things and even talking more. Again, we have a lot of time, much more time than we have when we were like working full time and going out. Because we are still working the same amount of hours, but we're not commuting. So that's much more time. Again, we also spend more time with our son. That was Clara, who lives in Turin in Italy, and I think that was really interesting that she, you know, just had never considered, and neither had I really, what kind of lighting that you need to work from home, like what sort of chairs you need to work from home when you have to share the one good chair with your partner or with your housemate, whomever else is there with you. And, you know, we talked a little bit about routines and rhythms and she is not a routine-driven person and, in fact, doesn't enjoy it but has had to develop a routine for herself. And I feel like I'm a bit like that now as well. Like I'm realising how much I buck against the need for routines but how having a sense of how the day plays out will actually be the only way to stop myself, my husband and our kids from kind of completely running riot. Um, <laughs> what is it like for you? I think this brings up a really important point and and I hear from a lot of people the importance of a routine. One one thing I'm hearing from people online again and again is the importance of building in, for example, some physical activity at the start of the day. So I used to walk to work and that would kind of allow me to clear my mind and maybe listen to a podcast or have a phone call. Whereas now I, I get up and I go for a run. It starts the day, then I have a coffee, then I get into kind of work. I make sure I have three meals a day. And I try not to snack. I make sure that if I am kind of nibbling between, I have a big fruit bowl so that the things I reach for are things that are probably better for my body. But also getting regular breaks to kind of take a breath of fresh air or moving from 
one position to another, sitting, standing, mm. so that my back doesn't get too sore. So trying to build a routine, I suppose, across the day, which is just so important for our mental health, our physical health, a sense that we're accomplishing things and the day doesn't just kind of morph into one blob. <laughs> and then I suppose... I think about how you know, time just slips between my fingers. At the <laughs> well, I, I, heard a, I heard a great meme the other day. It's sort of, ah, oh, yes, today is Tuesday, or as I now call it, day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that brings up then the kind of concept of rhythm. So routines, I, I think of that as kind of across the day. And rhythm is across the the week or the month. And you need to develop a rhythm as well. And it doesn't have to be regular. It doesn't have to be every Tuesday you do this, every Thursday you do that. But I suppose making sure that there is a rhythm across your Mm. week or your month, that you do take certain days off and have some sort of a weekend, that you have some time with your partner where you try and not be talking about kids or Mm. life or you know, work if that's possible. So that that concept of still maintaining a routine and a rhythm, even though everything in our lives at the moment is being thrown upside down and inside out, is so important for our our mental health and it keeps us grounded. And I suppose it just makes us feel better about ourselves and about where we are in the world at the moment. Like you say, having some kind of rhythm or routine is something that will be helpful during this Mm. period of complete uncertainty. So you talked about your routine, Sandro, and a lot of us are working from home now as well. So we've got a physio, Rowan Singleton, to talk us through some of the best ergonomics to consider when you're setting up your home office. Okay, so today I'd love to talk about ergonomics and how to optimise that at home. I think when we're working from home, it's a really important time to make sure that we're not assuming poor postures and developing bad habits. Sitting in, a, in an awkward posture and, and even just sitting for a long period of time creates a, a build-up of cumulative load on your body. And this can lead to all sorts of aches and pains and grumpy joints and tight muscles and pain. So it's really important to put a few strategies in place to help reduce that build-up of cumulative load on the body. So I've got a few tips. One of the first things that I think it's really important to do is to to move often. And it sounds pretty easy in theory, but when you're busy and you're stuck on that document, it can be tough to remember to make to take regular breaks and to stretch, particularly when you're working at home. I think that's the case. So when you're working, try to get up every 30 to 60 minutes, go for a walk, do some star jumps, have a bit of a stretch and do some pause exercises, which can all be great things to keep your body moving. And ultimately, that's probably the biggest message when it comes to ergonomics is that your best posture is your next posture. So make sure you you keep moving throughout the day. There's a few things you can also specifically do if you're spending some time on the computer. Having the computer at the right height and position is is really important because that can decrease the strain on your neck and on your shoulders and, and your lower back. So generally speaking, if you line up the top of your computer screen with an extended arm straight out in front of you, then the monitor should be at the right height. Your head and neck shouldn't have to turn to see the screen, which will um, decrease some of that build-up through those areas. Another really important thing is have a decent chair. Obviously, working at home, you might not have the access to the chairs you have normally, but as long as you've got a chair that has a back and is at a decent height so that your feet aren't dangling off the ground, that's a really good start. Whilst we're talking about chairs, another thing that's really helpful is a a lumbar support. If you're not lucky enough to have a chair that has a built-in lumbar support, you can easily do things like put a rolled-up towel just in the small of your back. It's a a simple strategy that can really help decrease some of the strain on your lower back. A couple of final points that are worth ticking off is there's a a 90-degree rule that we use in ergonomics um, where when you're sitting at your desk, just check where your elbows are and your elbows should be roughly at 90 degrees. 
check where your hips are. Your hips should be roughly 90 degrees and your knees should be at roughly 90 degrees as well. And if you follow that rule, then you generally can't go wrong. If you're spending a bit of time on the phone, that's another common area that can lead to uh, your neck having to twist and get into awkward postures for long periods of time. So it can be really useful just to use loudspeaker or got a headset, that's, that's really helpful. And finally, I think it's really important to relax. If you are spending some time at the desk and it's strange and it's a different setup to what you might be used to, it's really good to just take a moment and take a deep breath in and relax into a nice relaxed posture. So, Sandro, we've been talking about hygge today, the Danish <laughs> concept of coziness. Not just a concept, seems like a lifestyle. What's your best hygge recipe? Well, if I think about hygge, for me, it's not only something you want to share, it's something really tasty, it's warm, it sort of feels cozy and wintry, but it's also sustainable. It has to be something that's kind of respectful to the environment. So, for me, a really good one would be a roast chook, but not just any roast chook. Mm. It would be sort of one that maybe I've sourced a bit carefully. I've found one that's free range. It's had a good life. It's locally sourced and I'd cook it in the oven. I'd rub it in some spices, some olive oil. I'd surround it with lots of roasted vegetables, root vegetables, but also things like even zucchini and capsicum are really good. They caramelize. Leeks are really good. They caramelize right down as they cook in kind of the chicken fat. And then the thing that I love about a roast chicken is, of course, you have about four meals that you'll get from that chicken, particularly if you're two or three people in a house. So there's the roast chicken itself. There's chicken sandwiches the next day, super delicious. Mm -hmm. You know, you can break down the chicken and use some of the white meat to maybe throw through a risotto or a pasta. Then once you've taken all the meat off the carcass, you can make a huge pot of stock or soup and put that in the freezer or just turn it into a really tasty chicken soup. If you're not into eating chicken, which I totally respect, then roasted vegetables are really good on their own. And again, think leeks are just so great because they're caramelized, but pumpkin, sweet potato, potatoes, roast them all up. They're great in the fridge. You can then, when they're cold, toss them in a salad, put them in a frittata, chuck them in a sandwich. They're so versatile and so delicious. Mm, and top tip from my mum, I did this with my roast chicken, chicken, <laughs> my roast chicken on the chicken. weekend. <laughs> Obviously, you eat the roast chicken, you use it as chicken sandwiches, tick, yes, and then we made it into a soup and I always make a soto ayam, which is a kind of Indonesian mm. chicken soup. So, Okay, you're teaching me that one. Bunch of ginger, bunch of cumin, a bit of coriander, and you cook the chicken down and maybe boil an egg in it and throw in some oh, rice yeah. at the end, uh, and it's delicious. Um, I'm coming over for dinner. Yeah, well, <laughs> one day. <laughs> well, that's about it for us for this week, but we know that you know many of us are, have a lot going on in our lives. We're trying to deal with a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty, feelings of anxiety about the future. So we thought it'd be great to end the episode this week with a bit of mindfulness from a good friend of Dewey. So we're going to listen to her as she takes us through an experience that will hopefully give you a sense of groundedness that will help you to manage all of these feelings rushing around us at the moment. And of course, it's very hygge. Hello, everyone. I'd like to take you through a short and simple gratefulness exercise. Right now is a really good time to sit back and reflect on all the things that we have instead of what we don't have or might be missing out on. So let's start. Find a comfortable place where you can sit or lie down. You might also like to close your eyes. 
Let's begin by taking three very slow, long, deep breaths. You might like to place one hand on your chest and one on your belly so you can notice the breath coming in and out. Let's start. Breathing all the way in. Two, three, four, and all the way out. Two, three, four. Breathing in. Two, three, four, and all the way out. Two, three, four. Last one. Two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four. Lovely. Now let your breathing return to normal as you continue to be aware of your breath coming in and out. I'd like you to think about one person who you are particularly grateful for today. Maybe it's a parent or a partner, a friend or neighbour. Notice how you feel inside as you think about that person and why you are grateful for them. Send a sort of love and peace their way and then return your attention to the breath. Next, I want you to think of one item that you are grateful for today. Maybe it's your journal, a great book, or your Netflix account. It could be a favourite food item, a teddy bear, or a soccer ball. Whatever it is, smile as you think about how grateful you are for it. And then return to the noticing of your breath. Lastly, I want you to think about one other thing that you're grateful for today. It could be your health, your family, FaceTime, the country we live in, or even your faith that everything will work out in the end. Whatever it is, take one last deep breath and smile as you feel grateful for what you have, knowing that trying to remain focused on what we have rather than what we don't have will bring more joy and appreciation into our lives. Much love, Amy. This special COVID-19 series of In Good Health is produced by me, Dewi Cook, and edited by the fabulous Nick King. Thanks to Hayley McKenzie of Half Moon Mindfulness and Meditation and Rowan Singleton from Back in Motion Northcote for their help. For more information on what we've talked about in this episode, check out our show notes. And if you like us, please consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon.